The Athletic. Bruno Fernandes, nice pass. One the soccer Manchester United's first goal of the season. And it's a This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we are back properly now because Manchester United are playing Premier League matches and we are huddled inside the press box to react to what was a stuttering start to the season but it's a 1-0 win, Eric Ten Hag seemed to think it was a good performance, we'll definitely talk about that. I've got Andy Mitten staring me down already at the way I've started this podcast. Carl Anker and Laurie Whitwell are smiling. Andy should be smiling because Carl's brought a packet of Maltesers, which usually makes him happy. Um, Old Trafford's emptying. There's a few people tidying up. Raphael Varane is just walking off the pitch. The match winner tonight with his children having had a kickabout at the Stretford end. Um, Laurie, if you had to describe that start for United, I've used the word stuttering. What would you use? Oh. Is that a word? That will do. <laughs> Bitty. <laughs> Bitty. Poor. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Wolves were easily the better team. Wolves played really well right from the start. They pressed that man over there back further than he's been pushed back into the into the tunnel. I thought Cunha was excellent, Nunes was excellent. Semedo Apart from when they had to shoot. Yeah, they had a lot of chances and they wasted a lot of chances. And they were under one of the best. I remember when Wolves first came up and drew one all. I think it was 2018. Mm. And being really impressed. And everyone was um, going on about um, Ruben Neves. And they were more impressive tonight. The manager's been there for four days. <laughs> they deserved the penalty. It's absolutely a penalty. <laughs> and they did. And we'll talk about that, certainly. I mean, Carl, what is it about Manchester United Wolves games that no matter who's in charge, no matter which players are on the pitch, it's just a bit miserable, isn't it? Oh, God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Remember when we... <laughs> I think it was the Europa League game. Like, I know he's going to get Wolves out of the hat. They weren't even in Europe. I'm sick of them. I'm sick of them. <laughs> it's, um, I think a lot of it is to do with midfield. So Wolves, even though they rarely have a reliable goal, Raul Jimenez aside, even though they don't score too many goals, they've always had one or two press-resistant midfielders who can carry from their penalty area to the halfway line. And today, there was just too many gaps in midfield. This experiment... Experiment? It's probably not an experiment. The idea of having Mason Mount feels like an experiment. It does. Yeah. It does. I think two or three United fans watching this going, "Why did Ten Hag want Mason Mount over, say, someone like Lavia or Kai?" I mean, you can't afford Kaiseido, but why Mount? Um, Mount is told to push really high up and try and win the ball high up. Give it to Fernandez, and those two can work both as number tens. But that creates loads of space for Casemiro to have to look after by himself, and Casemiro just hasn't looked up to it in a couple of these pre-season performances and then today I'm not saying he's old I'm not saying his legs have gone but that's just a little bit too much space for a 31 year old to cover Yeah it was a lot of work for Casemiro wasn't it was that the issue for you Laurie as well the gaping hole in midfield well, They just kept running through it didn't they Wolves I mean 
I mean, what, what I was surprised about Cunha was he obviously centre forward, but he was the one often carrying the ball from his own box. Like, so he was dropping deep and getting involved and then and then bringing it up. It but definitely yeah. must have been a ploy for Wolves to target that because there was too many runs through the middle of midfield for it not to be deliberate. I mean, United gave the ball away 81 times during that game, which is not far off one a minute. I mean, Tenag seemed to suggest that was the, the biggest thing that he was disappointed with and that left United vulnerable to the counters. But... It was obvious being at the game what the issue was really, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, with Casemiro, Carl's, I think, really correctly identified the issue from a defensive point of view. But from an attacking point of view, he was actually the player that was picking the passes that put United on the front foot. So, you know, it's kind of like a difficult one to gauge, really. I mean, maybe just put someone next to him. But is it Ericsson? I mean, he came on late in the game, looks a bit better than he has done in pre-season. But he's another one where you go, he's over 30 can he last a full game? Clearly, you know, not on a on a on a thirty-eight game Premier League season. So yeah, kind of moments of well, re reasons to be kind of a bit concerned. I would say. I mean, Tenag afterwards was saying that what he felt was perhaps the most uh, deficient part was the front line not. Uh, working in conjunction and, and not having the right passes in the moments when they'd won the ball high. He, he thought actually United won the ball back uh, high up the pitch quite frequently. I think there was a stat actually that was like uh, six or seven times that United did that, but just, they picked the wrong passes. I thought Anthony's decision making was lacking again. Um, Garnacho's decision making, same as really. And Rashford, he, he hardly touched the board, did he? Particularly mm. in that first half. I mean, he had that shot that the keeper saved, but apart from that, I think it was like four touches in the first 30 minutes. But Garnacho ones. Interesting. So he lost position eleven times in that. Lost possession. He lost. Yeah. Garnacho lost ball eleven times. I think part of that is down to the fact that in the first half hour, Luke Shaw was inverting. So I didn't. I didn't understand why he went with that tonight. Really odd. You've got. You know, so box midfield seemed to be the the fashionable choice now. So it was Shaw coming from left back to stand next to Casemiro, create his box. Mount goes ahead, and. Okay, Shaw's a very, very good passer, very comfortable on the ball, can work in century areas, was really good at centre-back last season. But he's even better, in my opinion, when he's on the left and he's overlapping the player playing wide left. And there were two or three times where you could see Garnacho just couldn't quite get his head around having to play without having the security blanket of Shaw. Well, also, like last season here at Old Trafford, United have got a brilliant record you know, across the last 12 months. How many times was Luke Shaw a massive feature of United's play as well. Yeah, uh, it, if you've got Marcus Rashford up front and you've got Garnaccio on the left, to not have Shaw overlapping is curious. To have Wan-Bissaka had a very good game. But if if you want someone to invert and create this box, surely you play Dallow and have Dallow invert and then you have Shaw. I'm not a Premier League manager. Ten Hag knows far more about the game than I'll ever, ever learn. So <laughs> fine. But that was my thought in those 35 minutes. <laughs> I think the kind of most concerning stat, right, is this one about Wolves and the number of shots they had. Um, 23. <laughs> I mean, I think there was actually another stat that was 25, maybe, so maybe it was like a block shot there. So anyway, a lot of shots, but Opta was saying 23 shots, the most since 2005 for an opposition team at Old Trafford in the Premier League. Blimey. Do you know what game that was? United won that one 1-0 as well against Chelsea. Remember it, November 2005. Javier Hernandez offside, was it that one? I think it's the Darren Fletcher one. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, the weird yeah, angle yeah. one. I think it's that one. I could yeah. be wrong. I've, I've kind of gone off on a on a limb there. But um, and his, his sons, by the way, were in the director's box that just signed for United. Twin sons. And yeah, Rasmus yeah. Hoyland was uh, in the director's he box. Looked, Johnny Evans was. He looked big in real life. I know that. I know I should come up with a clever way of saying that. But Hoyland, <laughs> Hoyland well, in the box there. Came up with a word for what this match was, and I just came yeah. up with a sound. I think you're winning at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's physically imposing. Yeah. 
80s martial arts villain. Like, he looks like he'd be in Cobra Kai from Karate Kid. That's yeah. that sort of physical imposing. <laughs> Do you know the stat about the shots, actually? So I wrote down as well, Andrea Nana made six saves in that game, and that's the most by a keeper at Old Trafford in a Premier League game since August 2019. How many decapitations? Just the one. Um, or two, if you include both the players that he went to. And interestingly, he was interviewed after the game. I love this quote. He said, he was asked, was it a penalty? And he said, no, it was just two big guys colliding. It was a penalty. It was a clear penalty. I'm sorry. I'll let you tell him. Well, it, it was definitely a penalty. And um, Gary O'Neill's just received an apology because it it should have been a penalty. I'd be fuming if I was him. What he did say was... He correctly predicted how Manchester United would play. So that's a little bit of a worry if United are seen as being predictable. And you touched on, well, Aaron Wan-Bissaka was United's best player and assisted the goal, beautiful ball. And Garnacho, you can see why Eric Tenag is starting Garnacho because at some point he's going to hopefully become a starter. I don't think he's ready to become a starter yet. I think he's far better as an impact player when he comes off. And tonight he was he was all over the shop. I'm not going to be critical of that because he's a young lad learning his game. Was he the biggest issue in that first half, though? I don't think any of the front players did well. But there was a crossfield pass played to him, and he unballed it. So the, the, the that move, wasn't great, admittedly. The, the, the move broke down, but he he, he didn't I didn't play so well. Got, so not only have you got that box midfield was short, but when you have that box midfield, your three men receiving for him are are Wambasaka who, okay, has improved going forward, but he tends to take the safe option when he's passing. Rafael Varane, again, takes the safe option when he's passing. And you've got Martinez, who looked a bit angrier than usual as well. So you, you had Martinez trying to get the ball up really, really quickly while the other two didn't really want to. That ball wasn't getting into Shaw Casemiro quickly enough, which meant the players in front as well. And it just, they were just really sl- wonky, is the word for the first half hour. It was all wonky and it just felt... Unnecessary. There, could have, there was just a much. It felt as a much simpler way to progress the ball. Just stick Shaw on the left. Did Eric Tenag clarify after the game why he brought Martinez off? You just reminded me. We probably should have asked him that at the press conference. Yeah. Well, that, um, from what I heard, it was <laughs> no one asked him. What I heard, it was precautionary that he that he took him off because there was some sort of minor issue, and obviously the yellow card, I guess, forced the issue as well. Oh, possibly. so you think there was an injury thing? Because I just assumed it was the booking because he obviously got the, he slid in and, and got the you know, justified booking. Even he didn't quibble with that. But then there's two more instances where Wolves broke and he had to back off basically and let the guy go. I think Cunha was one where he then gave it to. Um, not Salibra, is it? What's it called? Sarabia. Sarabia, there we go. <laughs> and, um, and and so I wondered if Tanag was looking at it, just thinking it's not... You had Luke Shaw on a booking as well, two players on the left-hand side. Um, you know, and that, I mean, as you talk about the Garnacho thing, that was, you know, Garnacho loose pass to Shaw that then made him commit and get the booking. So I don't know, yeah, we should probably clarify that. But you think there might have been an injury? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know for definite, but that was sort of the word down at pitch side. I mean, do we read anything into the fact that it was Victor Lindelof who came off the bench and not Harry Maguire? I think that was par for the course because Victor Lindelof has been preferred over Harry Maguire. And. Harry Maguire's situation, well, I, on, on Friday I was told he's not spoke to West Ham because Manchester United have not given him permission to until Manchester United get a replacement uh, lined up. So I, I, I believe that. So based on that, were you not surprised at all that he was on the bench? 
I wasn't surprised that he was on the bench, but I wasn't surprised that Victor Lindelof came in for him. I mean, Martinez was, he missed a tackle in that first half on the halfway line, which could have been very costly. I think it was Sarabia who had the chance coming through. So don't think it was a good first half for Martinez or for a lot of them. And, and Carl used the word wonky. I, I would change the letter O <laughs> for, for an A. Wink. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in, in my description, Look, I'll try and be positive. A year ago, United lost the opening game against Brighton. Conceded the goals. So, Anarnica kept a clean sheet tonight. Made some good saves. Yeah, it was a penalty. But it wasn't, clearly. Because got away with it. You can win that, 1-0. And everyone go home a little bit relieved. Three points more than at the same point last season. You would hope that Manchester United feel that they were so bad. And, and they know it. I don't care what the managers say. And they know they were bad. And think if we do that in the next game, we're going to get absolutely um, battered. At Spurs, yeah. I mean, they've got holes in midfield like that, having watched them yesterday against Brentford. It's not a great side. Then again, it's Spurs, isn't it? So Spurs were the only team in the top nine not to beat Manchester United at home last season. But you're right, they, they, they look quite promising under their new manager. Well, attacking, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's holes and stuff to exploit yeah. looking at the Brentford game, but they cause them so many problems as well. Yeah. Um, let's keep on the positive note. Okay. You love goal difference, don't you? It's one of your favourite things to talk about. Well, you like working it out at least. Well, you're nodding along to me, so I'm going to go along with it. Well, Manchester United now have a positive goal difference. How long did that take to happen last season? It was the 30th of October by the time they had a positive goal right. difference but in the Premier League. In, in August. I'll give you another positive. I thought um, Jadon Sancho did well when he, he came on. He did, didn't he? He had some zip to him. And that's, I think, the big... Between now and the September international break, right back is up for grabs. And I think that left-hand side slot between Sancho and Garnacho is going to be up for grabs. So... And he came on on the left rather than as a false nine. Yeah. I thought maybe he'd come on as a false nine and Rashford would come over to the left and then you've got the Shaw and Rashford thing and Rashford, you know, let's, let's really attack that space. But it was, in the end, Scott McTominay that went sort of up top. But then he, sort of number 10 again, that, that kind of yeah. chaos number 10. Sancho was like false nine and then yeah. Fernandez was out to the left-hand side as they tried to sort of see the game out. Any other positives, Lawrence Whitwell? Um, I'll give you some. Andre Onana, I know that he, you know, he nearly conceded a penalty that then would have cost United two points, but looked assured in terms of the, the you know, keeping the ball out the back of the net, which is the thing that we kind of thought, is he going to be, you know, that that way? He was deep as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he, I, he seemed a lot deeper than the friendly. I, th- I think he ch- he's got to have changed that, hasn't he? After that goal, I wonder if Ten Hag's had a word with him and just said, just just to start the Premier League, just let's see, let's let's have you a little bit more deep. I mean, I asked Ten Hag that in um, Houston after the first game where we saw him against Real Madrid, so advanced, and said, is there a kind of set of rules that you're going to employ here for how much he can come out of his goal and in what situation? And he said, obviously we'll have to have a, a word with that, but he, he should be fine. You know, the players will become accustomed to him, but uh, it did. I, I agree with you. He wasn't anywhere near as advanced as he has been in pre-season. It took a while to feel. He was feeling things out in those first, in the first half, especially. You could tell the two or three passes that he didn't take that you'd imagine he'd take after Christmas. Um, but that was a near faultless performance until he basically punched the man in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought of another good thing. Rafael Varane at half time. Excuse me. So, <coughs> Carl's just killed me. <laughs> Rafael Varane at half time uh, in the huddle he's the one giving the talk so like okay 
Fernandes is there and, and Tenag wants um, a group of leaders rather than just one um, guy to wear the captain's armband. But that was interesting, I thought, you know, that he was the one that took the initiative and then he goes and scores the goal. I'm trying to think, like, how did that goal actually evolve, by the way? Like, why was Wan-Bissaka, I mean, underlapping for the cross and but then Varane to nod it in? What what was the circumstances <laughs> there? Chuck all the big lads forward and let them, <laughs> let them figure it out. That was, that was basically the experiment there. It was, look, it's a win and it's a clean sheet. And you, you work out the rest going forward. It's interesting that you said, you know, yeah, United did lose to Brighton to start. That Brighton team that played Luton would have put at least one goal past Man United. But yeah. you, you take what you're given and you play the team you have to play. And I'm sure Ten Hag is going to be talking a lot about that midfield and the gaps left. Wolves didn't score because Wolves aren't very good at scoring goals. A better team would. And United need to be mindful of that. Last word on the positives on the pitch, Andy. I've used them all up. All <laughs> oh, right. Should we just move it on then? Yeah. Um, okay. Luke Shaw got better in the second half. Scott McTominay made a block. Luke Shaw made a couple of of great blocks. See that Wan Bissaka throwing on seventy two minutes as well. No, I didn't see Wan Bissaka's throwing on seventy two oh, minutes. He got some minutes, which was nice. Well, yeah. No, weird. I did not expect Pelletri to come off the bench at that point in time. I was like, what? Too early. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that. <laughs> I think he deserved that because he's, he's shown some moments. But he was coming on before the goal. Yeah. It was just as the goal went and I thought, is he going to get sent back to the bench here? Like, Tenag's got form for that. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Fabio Silva was coming on about four times tonight <laughs> and kept sitting back down again as well. The Wolves fans were getting excited and then they had to sit down. They were well. singing the old curly hair, which they've obviously nicked from the Owen Hargreaves one. Was, oh, was we, we nicked that from Christian nick Daly, that? I think. Okay, right, Is that right, Andy? Yeah. You're normally right about these sort of things. I'm pretty sure United nicked that from West Ham, maybe, singing it about okay. Christian Daly. There's been a thing amongst the Anyone fan base. With curly hair gets that song. Yeah, but it's like you can't just copy other people's songs. Yeah, we don't yeah. do that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Anyway, I'll move it on swiftly. Well, the other aspect we need to talk about tonight is what happened outside Old Trafford before the game. There was different protests planned. Um, Andy, you were outside. Carl, you were as well. What did you see? Rain. Coming a lot of rain, by the in way. In August. Optimism, because it's the first game of the season. Great to see people who you've not seen since last season. Sad to see people who've just lost loved ones. There's a really famous United fan who passed away recently called Kevin Peake, and He's gone to games for decades in his wheelchair and to see the lad Martin who comes everywhere with him with tears in his eyes was pretty heartbreaking because I've only ever seen them two as a pair Mm. going back as long as I've followed Manchester United and he was he was absolutely devastated and you, you get a sense of what a community a fan base is and then I spoke to some of the people who were part of and who were organising the protests, some of the lads from the 1958 group. Their protest is, is a very straightforward one, it's to get rid of the Glazers. And that was a precursor to what they hope will be a bigger one for the Forest game at Old Trafford. What's the plan for the Forest game? It's an hour-long sit-in at full time. So the idea is the fans do not move from their seats. So I did say, like, you know, what if you stand up during the sitting? Are you going to get turfed out now that they've put safe standing areas in? So, no, you'll be allowed to do that as well. And no, they've obviously done all the terms and conditions. I think the feeling against the Glazers has been pretty consistent. We heard tonight in the game, anti-Glazer chance. We saw the flags as well Mm -hmm. from the Red Army section. Nothing has changed there apart from the frustration continues that there's been no update. Uh, on, on the sale process and then on this was all happening on the forecourt at about half past six some flares 
well, an off-green yellow flares, and then there was a, a smaller protest group um, which was against Mason Greenwood returning to play for Manchester United. Carl, did you see much of that? Yes, yes, I saw one sign that simply read, uh, don't leave the decision to the women's team, You, <clears throat> which I think is pretty strong. We're at a point in time where we, well, we were all operating under the assumption that an announcement was made before the start of the season, and that's been delayed, which creates confusion. I think both protests, to a degree, are frustrated that the decision-makers and the custodians of Manchester United don't properly communicate things, or they say one thing and they don't follow through, and they would like more. They work better from that, and I think that's, that's a fair request from the people that you invest so much time and money in on the weekend and how many hours a week supporting Manchester United you can't get a clear answer on some of the really pressing things about this club's future. Laurie you've been writing about Mason Greenwood and the situation here at Manchester United as we await a decision on on what's going to happen um, for the future. Um, what do you know about this process and where we're up to with it? Yeah, as Carl's touched on, the idea was to make an announcement before the start of the Premier League season. I think that would have been better for everybody involved so that there's clarity on the situation and it got delayed. Um, now, Do we know why? Well, so <laughs> that's the, the rub, really. That's the interesting uh, aspect. We're trying to find out exactly why. One aspect to it is... Uh, the fact that they want to uh, communicate with key stakeholders uh, such as the women's team. Now this isn't necessarily to consult with them and ask their opinion and that will then feed back into the actual decision, it's more to explain it in a full manner the results of their investigation that's been going on for several months. Now that has then led to issues with some of the female players that are currently representing England at the World Cup where United tweeted um, a kind of you know uh, a kind of you know message. good luck message uh, before the game and it was replied to with a lot of you know I don't know trolls who these people are we don't exactly know but with basically uh, an assumption that you know, we we are watching you we we want you to um, reinstate Mason Greenwood now it, that's a misunderstanding of the situation that they're not that's not what they're being asked to do here and also it just feeds into this you know very difficult atmosphere and very uncomfortable environment I think for, for this to to be discussed what it needs I think is is someone from United to be open and, and honest about it and and clearly this is what United are thinking about how do we communicate whatever the decision is now they say the decision still hasn't been made it will be Richard Arnold's decision to make based on the uh, facts of the investigation but clearly whichever way this goes it's going to be it's a toxic situation really and United have got to be very careful not to allow this kind of stuff to happen again where you're getting innocent people involved targeted by people that are angry for whatever reason yeah it's a difficult one just to finish off then let's talk about the other pieces that, that you three are writing what we can look forward to feasting our eyes with over the next few days Lawrence Whitwell you have got an absolute mammoth task this evening into the night haven't you Yes, uh, so I think I can say this. Uh, hopefully this will be published by the time the podcast is out. You'll have to write it first. Yeah, it might not or be, finish actually. finish writing it. Yeah, it won't, it won't be, to be fair. So I don't know how much I can tease, maybe. I've been talking to some people. Uh, yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got an interview with a couple of... Um, 
you know, influential people at Manchester United that covers a range of topics, including the stadium, um, including fan engagement, ticket prices, that kind of stuff that I think I think people will be interested to read. Um, I, I found it really uh, educational and um, some interesting aspects that will, uh, I think, feed into how people, you know, look at the club the ownership but also the people that work at the club as well you know so um, hopefully that's enough of a tease without giving too much away I think you're safe yeah Carl are you writing about the match I'm doing the match piece so uh, thanks to Jeff on the US team he's done a fantastic graphic to really illustrate the gaps between Casemiro and Mount and why they probably need to have a big word at half time like games as well and then later on this week I will be writing about Ten Hag's record against the top six because I do remember last season I went how, how hard is the top six compared to the rest of the league? And he just looked at me and went, you what? Like, do you know how hard Brentford is? Like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> just actually on that, I don't know if we, we focused in enough on Mason Mount in particular in the first section when we were talking about the game, so let's do it now. Not quite working yet, is it? It's high risk, high reward. If, if this works out and you've got Mount as this free eight who works really, really high up next to Fernandez and he's winning the ball up and he that can make United so much quicker on counter-attacks. And, and you know, the old the old-fashioned way of counter-attacks is being your half to their half. If Mount wins the ball on the edge of their D, which he's very good at doing, just quick, 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 quick. And he won the ball three times, and that can work. However... <laughs> Luke, the security guard, has just given us uh, a tweet that says, Mason Mount's performance for Manchester United, zero goals, zero assists, zero chance created, zero crosses, zero tackles won, zero aerial duels won. I don't know if he's been bought for his aerial he's duels. Not, he's not good at aerial duels. And that's, look, I said this in a TIFO video as well. He, he leaps, but there's no intensity behind it. He's a lover, not a fighter when it comes to balls in the air. Um, and obviously, so that, you know, that's the high reward wins the ball up high up the field gives that to Bruno and Bruno just sprays it to those rapid boys ahead the risk is it's just far too much space for Casemiro to manage and I don't know how you fix it you can maybe put in someone else get a younger Casemiro or at some point in some games you, you get Casemiro to go to Mason drop deeper I can't cover all this but then you have to think can Mason do that defensive work closer to, to his penalty area I'm, I have no idea how this is going to work we're going to be doing this over and over and over again right up until Christmas and then we can all have a big chat about whether or not you have him or not yeah I seem to remember us having this sort of conversation about Christian Eriksen maybe at this sort of <laughs> stage of last season when Manchester United hadn't won out for the first two games Andy it's very early isn't it for, for Mason Mount but I mean we'll talk more about the, the Tottenham game at the weekend on Thursday's podcast but that's definitely a thing straight away that's going to have to change before United go to the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yeah people have been pretty unconvinced I think by him pre-season and then by what happened tonight so if United fans have lost David De Gea and may lose Harry Maguire there's, there's a real search on to have a scapegoat so he's just got to be very careful that he doesn't fall into being that I think he's a good player I was pleased that he signed I think the manager's got a very clear idea what he wants to do you asked about articles I wrote about this place at the I weekend. was about to ask you that yeah what did you write about um, didn't write about the Wi-Fi because tonight it was switched on and it works. So I've got to credit Manchester United there because it took until 2018 for there to be, be Wi-Fi in the press box of which no fans would be sympathetic. Well, but Fergie didn't want any of that information getting out while he was here, surely. 
But it was symptomatic of Old Trafford's lack of investment. It was literally the only major stadium in Europe where you couldn't get a Wi-Fi signal until five years ago. So I wrote a, a big piece for The Athletic on, on Saturday about the future of this place because it is stalled. So master planners were appointed last year. Plans were presented to the fans advisory board. Uh, officials were really impressed by some of the American stadiums on the pre-season tour. And everyone's just waiting to find out what happens to this stadium that we can see now. It's, it's a great stadium, but it needs redeveloping and different plans were put forward. So I found a lot of detail about those different type of plans where it was a, a brand new stadium in, in the West Car Park, which is possible. United needs to buy a little bit more land or rebuilding Old Trafford and, and primarily the stand that we're in. But different options have been looked at, including a whole new roof for the whole stadium, which would be really expensive. So there's lots of detail in that, and there's also a lot of people just waiting for you know what happens next here. Yeah, Laurie, you wrote uh, the other day about the new players' lounge that's been installed at Old Trafford, which is seen as a, a bit of a an achievement for Ten Hag. Is that a fair way to describe it, as the lights go out inside this stadium? Yeah, that's our first hint. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get eyeballed soon, aren't we, by uh, the, the staff that are remaining. Um, yeah, definitely seen as a, a win for Ten Hag because Jose asked for it, uh, Van Gaal asked for it, I'm pretty sure Oli asked for it as well. Um, an area in Old Trafford where they could control the environment and they didn't have to make their way through Manchester traffic from the Lowry or whichever other hotel they were staying in the night before to come to their own ground to play. It kind of seems like wild that United didn't already have this but there we go it was you know the lounge that they've now got um, was a you know a, a, an expensive hospitality suite that people paid lots of money for so you know millions of revenue over the course of the year um, that's after been shifted around and, and you know so I think that's that's a sign of Ten Hag's sort of power and also the, the kind of football influence you know with John Murta being given more responsibility and then being able to convince Joel uh, Glazer to sign it off because ultimately he does sign this kind of stuff off um, but it is interesting touching on what Andy said there about the stadium that, that this is something that I'll, the piece that I'm doing the interview that I've conducted will be uh, very much touching on this the, the, the improvement as well as the um, the new director's boardroom by the way yeah um, we got a peek through the sort of frosted glass at that right. as you walk past the the press <laughs> the press well walk towards the press area from yeah. from the press box inside you can sort of just glance at some nice new shiny lights and a few other things yeah it's pretty nice in there there's a there's a new floor and everything um you've been in i might, I might have had a little sneaky look and um and it's where sir alex ferguson you know entertains um you know guests that he has um, but that's in the South Stand where we're in, the Sir Bobby Charlton Stand. You know, so th this is the one that they would. Th this is the one where you, you could have renovation. You could you could increase it hugely. But they've made these changes. Now United will say that that's because they just don't want to stand still. You know, it's not any sign that they're not going to then you know uh, rebuild this this stand. But it is an interesting context to everything that's going on. It doesn't feel like the type of move that you're going to make if you're about to bulldoze the South Stand, does it? No, it doesn't. But th these plans would be um, longer term I don't you could actually build above the south stand that's possible so you could keep the new director's box but it's still a room with no windows you know it's it's very smart how they're doing some of the developments and we look now we can see the safe standing in in the Stretford end which has been put in United are spending millions on Old Trafford but not billions so major, major developments have not happened inside the stadium since 2006 and they'd already been signed off when the Glazers 
took took control so this again is a symptom and touching on some of the areas we, we spoke about before too often Manchester United are reactive and not proactive very slow decision making we could apply that to the implementation of the women's team the development of Old Trafford you know th th this is what the Glazers like things take time I still think it's a really good stadium but it needs hundreds of millions spending on it. It needs expanding. You can't get tickets now. It's really difficult. It needs to be a bigger stadium. Madrid have expanded. Put it up to 85. Now, I'm always... Whenever I read a story about stadium expansion with American owners, you always have to carry the caveat of, in America, new stadiums tend to get paid for using taxpayer yeah. money. Yeah. And that, I'm not saying that's affecting the Glazer yeah. mindset. I'm Just the history of American stadia... One, they will have massive car parks because there's no public transport. Mm. And two, a lot of them do end up getting paid for by taxpayers' money in the local area. So, yes, that stadium you went to in Las Vegas was absolutely incredible. It was paid by a lot of people that mm. won't have season tickets for that ground. Mm. And that ugh, it always makes it, makes it sticky because you can't quite compare the two continents and how they build stadiums together. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that's how they built that stadium, wasn't it? The yep. Glazers, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was taxpayer money. Um, and, and, that, and that is, that is, we go back to it, that is the whole reason I would say for the strategic review, the search for investment and you know, potential sale if they realise that they couldn't get the investment because it, it's the stadium, it, it's, it's this thing is two billion pounds is, is one of the price tags for, for, for a plan. You know, I think that's probably like a new Old Trafford, but it, that, that's what you're talking about here. And as Andy's touched on it, it's a lot of money. Where are they going to get that from? 900 million euros? The spaceship looking thing <laughs> Florentino it's not just about the, the capacities get raised slightly mm -hmm. in, in Barcelona as well it's the back end stuff this is cramped yeah. the leg room in the stadium is cramped the kitchen you just complained cramped. about leg room leg room yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm alright my about knees it. are killing me right now you're quite <laughs> tall it's a major issue in the stadium yeah. I'll get geeky on you if you want right you don't need to But alright well, 30 seconds of geekiness yeah, it's 10 to midnight the tread between the seats here is 660 um, millimetres, which was decided in 1964, right? In a modern stadium, it would be between 750 and 800. So it's tight here. But then you're all sort of tight and packed in, and I quite like that. But you do get the, the shin injuries, which are yeah. <laughs> associated with goals at Old Trafford. Yeah, there is that. There's a few souvenirs, <laughs> isn't there? Right, let's just wrap it up with, with focusing back on the match just for a moment. Laurie, do you feel any differently about Manchester United's season or their start to the season, having watched that tonight, from what you saw in pre-season or felt before that 90 minutes? Mm, no, because it is a bit of a continuation of how they finished pre-season. The Arsenal game was really good, but then Real Madrid, they got outclassed. I know Borussia Dortmund was a bit of a, a wonky one uh, with the team selection. Right. Were. 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 Winky. Um but I think that's, you know, United haven't, they've, they've got Marcus Rashford doing a job up front and I know he's, he's played that role, but it's not, a, you know, when, when Hoyland comes in, you, you hope that that will fit better and, and be more, you know, be cleaner, I suppose. Um, I think Wolves actually surprised me. I think they're actually a pretty, they've got a good set of players, really. I know we've had these sort of horror stories of, of Julian Lopetegui, um, not liking the, the setup at Wolves and, and just feeling like it wasn't for him anymore. But Gary O'Neill clearly knows how to organise a team from, from Bournemouth last season. We saw that. And so I think they're actually a better team than people think. But then again, 
Spurs will be a really interesting one because they're obviously they've started in a more attacking way but as you guys touched on they've also probably more porous so can United take advantage of that? Do you feel any differently about United's start to this season having watched that? A little bit it now makes more sense why Ten Hag told Laurie out in America that probably shouldn't be mentioning the T word um, I before this game I was pretty much going you know that's fine transfer window don't really necessarily any extra players is a bonus whereas watching that I've gone you might need to get one more body through the door. I'll finish on a positive. So Rasmus Hoyland, right? I was speaking to a lad the other day who um, I said, because um, he played in Syria last season. I said, what do you know about him? Do you play against him? He said, I know someone who plays with him. I said, oh, who? He said, yeah, um, Berat. He's a central defender. He plays alongside me in the national team for Albania. So the lad's called Frederick Vaselli, who used to be at United and City. I said, what's he like? What does he say he's like? He said, wait a minute. He said, he says he's a beast. This is Hoyland and mad fast. And I've gone, yeah, this is great, especially in open space. So we can look forward to that very technical description <laughs> of our new centre forward. Yeah, well, we've definitely got that to look forward to, no doubt at all. Just hope that maybe teams give us a little bit more space in behind than Wolves did tonight. Don't forget, we've got two live shows coming up in September. London is completely sold out, but there are still some tickets left for our date in Manchester, Monday, September the 4th at New Century. So go to myticket.co.uk if you're interested in that. And we've got a little bit of a sneaky preview to some of the stuff that we've got going on there on the 4th of September on Thursday's Talk of the Devils. But for the moment, from Old Trafford, that's nearly dark. Laurie, thank you. Thanks guys, cheers for listening. Carl, thank you. We're back, we're back, we're back, we're back, we won! Yeah, sort of. And Andy, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening at home. We'll see you on the next one. See you then, cheers, bye-bye. The Athletic.